Welcome to Everyday Drinking, presented by the Eat, Drink, Dine Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason Wilson. Well, hello, listeners. I'm super excited for this episode, which is all about wines that are near and dear to my heart, the wines of Austria. Gruner Veltliner and Blau Frankisch are among my favorite wine grapes in the world, and today we'll be focusing on the natural side of Austrian wine. So in the times before the pandemic, if you were someone who went to wine bars or wine shops in big cities, your experience with Austrian wine has probably been with natural wines from producers such as Gut Ogau, Meinklang, Klaus Preisinger, Christian Cheetah, and, and others. As someone who's been following Austrian wine for years, it's a little surprising just how popular these natural bottles have become among those deep inside the wine bubble. These wines from Austria have become honestly just as coveted as something like Burgundy or Bordeaux among natural wine aficionados. So we're going to take a look at all this today. Act 1. Pairing Blaufrankisch with McDonald's or Why Austrian Natural Wine Matters. Act 2. A Spring Gruner Veltliner Tasting with Juicebox Beth. Act 3. A Conversation with an Austrian natural wine pioneer. Okay, so we opened this uh, really great bottle of Christian Cheetah Felsen One, his, his Blau Frankish. Very, very, very hard to find natural wine from Austria. Yes. Um, but we decided we wanted to get some food and what was going to pair. And we were reading this book, Big Macs in Burgundy, Wine Pairings for the Real World by uh, Vanessa Price and Adam Laukoff. Yep. And um, what's the best? Oh, what's the best pairing with this? So according to Vanessa, the best pairing for Austrian Blau Frankish is, surprisingly enough, filet fish It's a recent Friday, Good Friday, in fact. And my friend Amber Brown and I are on our way to McDonald's. We've gotten our hands on this rare Austrian Blaufrankisch. It's the kind of red wine you post on Instagram, and when you do, your snarky friend in Brooklyn immediately comments, is that level of cool even allowed in Jersey? <laughs> Apparently so. This is not really the sort of wine you would ever think to pair with a filet of fish, but the authors of Big Macs and Burgundy make a strong case otherwise. Like why? Like what is, like why would she pair, like why is that, why is... Blau Frankish and filet of fish a good pairing. All right. Well, according to Vanessa, the assumption that white is only for fish and red is only for meat is outdated coggy bot. Well, we know that, though, right? Yeah. Yes, but for fried fish, you're going to want a lighter red chilled in the fridge as if it were a white. And for the filet of fish in particular, a tardy little number from Austria called Blau Frankish cannot be bested. Oh, okay. Well. All right. So we're going to get this filet of fish for our filet of fish and Blau Frankish pairing. Side note, the filet of fish first came about in the 60s when this poor franchise owner was losing all of his burger business on Fridays because his town in Ohio was two-thirds Catholic. All right. Well, we're pulling up right now. So let's, <laughs> we're going into the drive-in, a drive-thru here. Drive-thru. Drive-in, drive-thru. We're going into the drive-thru right now. Um, I guess we want the, the meal, the tasting meal. 
Alright, well actually, side note, I was, when I was doing my like filet of fish research, I was told that they generally sit around for a really long time at McDonald's, so in order to get a fresh one, what you gotta do is order the filet of fish, no cheese, so that they make it fresh. Oh, filet of fish, no cheese. So that they make it fresh on site. Okay, why are you whispering? I'm not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but also these nuggets. Have you? Yes, can I get a filet of fish meal, but can I get no cheese on the what filet? Size? What size? Can I get a large fry? Can we just upsize it? What size are? Just the largest fry. Whichever. I'm sorry, I hear you. So, so whichever would be largest. All right, so we're going to get filet of fish, large fries, okay. and uh, can we get no cheese on the filet of fish? Okay. And then we get a 10-piece chicken nugget. Okay, what kind of drink with that one? Um, we'll get water with that. And then we get get Sorry. an extra order. Ten piece nuggets, the combo. Yes. Okay, you're gonna tell me that. Sorry. Okay, medium large. Large. Large fries. Okay, and a bottle of water. Yep. Okay. All right. That's it. That's it. Okay. All right. Twenty one ninety. First window. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We definitely are making friends here at McKinney's. He's pissed. Well, I don't know how to fucking order McDonald's. Like, <laughs> the last time I was here, I don't. Like the last time. Like, you I, feel like idiot. Idiot. I feel like an idiot. I feel like a fucking Lamar. idiot. Yeah, I feel like an idiot. Like I don't know how to order at McDonald's. Like, oh I feel like you're being very fussy by ordering the filet of fish without cheese. I think that it's a brilliant thing, and if it's hot and like crispy and great when we bite into it, you'll be happy that I made them go through that extra step. I don't know. It seemed like the filet of fish came out pretty fast for like a custom order filet of fish. No. I'm like, well, it's Good Friday, so maybe a lot of people are getting it. When's the last time you had a filet of fish? I've never had a filet of You've fish. You've never had a filet of fish? Ever. Have you ever had a Christian Cheetah wine? Um, this will be my second time. Okay, so you've had more, just just to be clear of your <laughs> your bouginess here, you had, hey. you've had more Christian Cheetah wines than you have filet of fish in your life. This is true, but I really feel as though you try to continually come for my bouginess, and I'm hurt. <laughs> It's a simple pleasure known only to those unfairly maligned mavericks who choose the filet of fish. There's something about that first bite when the squishy steamed bun gives way to the crisp Alaskan pollock and a warm ooze of creamy tartar sneaks through. That's Amber reading more from Big Macs and Burgundy. If McDonald's filet of fish is the so-called choice of mavericks, if that's really true, could Austrian Blaufrankisch also be the choice of mavericks? Okay, what are you doing? this filet of fish. Yeah, okay. I'll pour the wine. <laughs> Alright, here we go. Here's your Diet Coke. I mean, are you pairing the Diet Coke with the wine as well? I mean, uh, we'll see. I don't think Christian's gonna love that, but, like, we'll see. Okay. We're about to take a bite. I got tartar sauce all over myself right now. Um... But what are we pairing with this again, just to be clear? So right now, we're pairing this filet of fish with the 2019 Christian Shida Felsen Eins Ungefiltert. So fun. <laughs> Do you like my German there? Yeah, that's very nice. Okay. <laughs> the Germans but, love me. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So we have this, yeah, Christian Shida from Bergenland, Blau Frankish. And I'm, I am now, I have taken a sip. And now I am pairing it with... My filet of fish. 
She's not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> it works so well. That's way better. Way better than Diet Coke, but it yeah, it does. I mean, like I'm I'm like mad at how right it is because I wanted it to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like the tartar sauce and the... It's the tartar sauce for me. This is pretty good. It is. I don't know why. It just seems wrong, but I don't want it to be wrong. If it this works. Is... And the steamed bun, too. If this is wrong, I don't want to be right. But it's just so good. Because I, like, that's, that's the, the thing about yeah. this wine. I mean, this wine, it's so light. It's 12% alcohol. These wines with cheetah are always so drinkable. It's like... It's incredible. It's crazy. Okay, so now I got grease all over my, my <laughs> field recorder, right? Um, Express. Why is this working? I don't understand. Like, what? What is it? Like, what is um, Vanessa Price say? Like, why is this working? Like, what's the story? Okay, so let me like get this Nike D's to settle. Essentially, according to Vanessa, like because Blau Frankish is lighter and fresher, the medium body iterations. <laughs> are going to work best because the tannins aren't intense and it's not going to overpower the crispy fish and it's sturdy enough to echo that rich tartar sauce. Okay. Okay. So I think that's why it's like surprisingly working. Alright. First of all, I just want to... I have a list of apologies I need to go through right now. One of which is to the winemaker, Christian Cheetah, who's going to be on the program later. He's going to hate you for this. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like this is a monumental work of wine writing all of a sudden. It is. Yeah. I mean, these guys know what they're talking about. Big Macs and Burgundy. You got you to get like, this. Like, like, <laughs> this is a very enlightened pairing here. Run and don't walk. Yeah, exactly. Get this book. Big Macs and Burgundy, Wine Pairings for the Real World by Vanessa Price and Adam Laukoff is based on their popular column for New York Magazine's Grub Street blog. We'll speak with winemaker Christian Cheetah later in the program. For more on Austrian wines, check out our newsletter at everydaydrinking.com. Okay, so maybe we're being a little cheeky about McDonald's and Blaufrankisch. Surely what makes this pairing work is not the filet of fish, but the wine itself. So maybe at this point, it's time to bring in an expert to take a step back and gain some context about Austria and its movement of organic, biodynamic, and natural wine. Yeah, hello, my name is uh, Daniela, Daniela Denega. I'm a wine writer based in Vienna. And my, my favorite topic is uh, organic and biodynamic wines, also a bit about uh, natural wine. I asked Daniela why Austria had become such an important place for natural wine, or perhaps why had natural wine become so important to Austria? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a good question why. It's not so easy to answer, I think. Uh, there, there are many reasons. I think the, the natural wine movement is uh, just um, a logic uh, continuation of this organic and biodynamic trend. Uh, so it started uh, with uh, organic and, um, I mean, the organic agriculture in, in Austria is, is very, very strong. Um, we have... Uh, a big share of uh, organic uh, agriculture, like uh, 20, 22%. 
And um, in viticulture, it's now about uh, 15, 16 percent. And I think it's um, it's mainly because the the wineries they are quite small. We have small structures. They have uh, seven, eight, ten, maybe twenty hectares on average. Um, uh, so it's easier for small producers uh, to convert to organic or biodynamic, easier than when you are a very big producer. Of course, organic and biodynamic uh, vintners they are always in search of a higher quality. Uh, I think it's also about a lot about the new generation of vintners. Uh, they saw, okay, my parents, uh, they have done a lot. They produce a very good quality already, but uh, they asked themselves, how can I even improve this? And I think uh, the organic and biodynamic way is, is a, a way to improve quality. And also to um, to do something that is good for nature. Uh, it's about environmental care as well. And they just saw that uh, their vineyards are more healthy uh, when they don't use uh, all those treatments. So can you maybe talk a little about who you see as the maybe the pioneering natural winemakers? Like who is really kind of been the leaders in natural winemaking in Austria? Mm-hmm. There is a group of producers um, that is called uh, Respect, Respect Biodun. And uh, those are really the, the pioneers uh, of this uh, biodynamic movement, like uh, Gernot Heinrich, Klaus Preisinger, Judith Beck, and also Fred Leumer, uh, just to, to name a few of them. Yeah. But they are a bigger group, actually. Now it's over, it's, uh, they are more than uh, 20. Um, and they've really started early with this, like I think in 2000, 2006, 2007, and they converted their vineyards to biodynamics. Then as a consequence, um, the wines changed, the wine style changed, and it were, got more about uh, natural wine, like this low intervention philosophy in the cellar. Um, and yeah, just using less additives, uh, yeah, natural yeasts, um, low sulfates. Yeah. Does it surprise you that certain producers like Gudogau or Meinklang or Christian Cheetah are so have become so popular in the U.S.? Like you know, these are. Like people think of Austrian wine, they think of producers like this, really. I mean, in, in, in certain big cities, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, to me, it's a surprise. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, but uh, but they are they are very uh, they are also very popular in Austria, but in a very um, it's it's for a specialist scene. Yeah. So they are really very successful in exporting their wines. Uh, and uh, sometimes, uh, uh, and it seems uh, export is uh, more important to them uh, than their home market. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, there's like it's like there's an international tribe of natural wine enthusiasts, right? And it doesn't matter where they live; they could live in Tokyo or Copenhagen or Paris or New York exactly. or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 We started this episode talking about Blaufrankisch, a red wine. But that's only one of Austria's unique grapes. Well, Austria, Austria is a white wine country. 
Yeah, it's yeah. Um, two two thirds uh, is white wine. Um, Grunewaldliner is as important as ever. Um, and um, yeah, there are some uh, special varieties like, uh, you know, uh, there's a small trend to four mint, which is actually um, uh, in, in, in Burgenland in Rust has found uh, a new a new niche. <laughs> Um, yeah. uh, there is Rotterweltlina, uh, there is uh, Pinot Blanc and Pinot Gris, um, yeah, many varieties. Uh, and with red wine, Blaufränkisch is is uh, a high quality grape, high quality grape, but we have more Zweigelt, hmm? which is also important. But of course, uh, when you think about export, it it will be Blaufränkisch. Uh, because it's our high quality grape. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is a there is a bit of, of a, a trend uh, to to orange wines as well. So fermentation on the skins. You can also see that um, that conventional producers who are not organic um, or biodynamic, yeah, they have also have this idea of of doing orange wine, which is yeah, it's just a, a new style and yeah. it has become more popular. What I love about Austria's wine culture is its overall lack of pretension. I talked with Daniela about the humble everyday wine taverns that you find in neighborhoods in Vienna. Uh, you mean the Heuriger? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these places are, they, they are actually, they are like uh, small restaurants and they, uh, they sell their own wines. Yeah? They are wine producers. And sometimes uh, this takes place in the middle of the vineyards. Sometimes it's um, in, in small uh, cellars or houses. Um, yeah, we uh, and the Viennese people they they love to go there because it yeah it's just relaxed and um, yeah it's it's part of our tradition. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just like it feels to me like it's very unpretentious. It's not, you know, it's not like this this kind of snobby wine culture, you know. It's just sort no, of No, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely not. It's it's totally normal. It's totally normal. And I like uh, that you can meet all kinds of people there. Yeah. It's um it's a uh, colorful mix of people who who go to to these places. Yeah. Speaking of colorful people, I figured we should taste some Grüner Veltliner with one of the most colorful people I know, Juice Box Beth. Well, uh, joining me once again to talk about some wines is Juice Box Beth, all the way from her home in Brooklyn. Uh, how you doing, Beth? Doing well. So happy to be back. Thanks for thanks for letting me come back. <laughs> <laughs> so what what are we what are we drinking today? So it is spring now, uh, and we are, we've got some Austrian spring wines that are just gonna, you know, to pop some sunshine into your, your life. Beautiful, beautiful. The weather's turned nice. What, what, like what, how do you define a spring wine? So spring wines to me are going to be very fresh and pure and bright, um, really nice acidity. They don't necessarily have to be had with food, um, you know. You can drink them in the park, but they just kind of, they breathe life into you, you know, actually they today. They make you happy. Yes. Yes. They make, yeah. They make, they make you happy. Okay, cool. What, what, so, and, and we're saying Austrian wine. So I guess we're talking about whites. We're talking about, of course, Gruner Veltliner. What's the. Gruner Veltliner. Velt, 
leaner. Mm. Don't don't conclude that. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what's interesting though? So Tell me. I had I had never heard of the term groovy until two weeks ago when I read it in your book. Oh really? Yeah. I've never well, I've never heard it referred like to that as because that. It, that was like a thing like fifteen or twenty years ago when like Gruner was had its moment right. It was like the hot wine when I was younger, and it's just I don't know. It, it got really trendy. There ended up being a lot of bad gruner that was available and it you know it, it sort of went away for a while but now you know now it's like i think it's a classic now gruner coming back. yeah 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 definitely i mean it is groovy indeed i will say groovy um, yeah so let's dive right into the first wine all right what, what do we have all right so first and foremost we've got christina gruner ventliner this is from carnuntum austria which is this tiny little region next to vienna yep um, the winemaker is Christina Netzel, uh, and she's been making wine. Well, I can't say she's been making wine since she was five, but her winemaking career goes back to when she was five years old, which I think is pretty impressive. Really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what you were doing when you were five, but when I was five, I was playing with, with dolls and hoping to be a fashion designer. She's been making wine for a long time, goes back to her parents and her grandparents. And she went to... Uh, winemaking school and brought back this passion for organic viticulture. So she came back to the family farm and helps to convert it to organic viticulture. Um, and here's her her uh, her Gruner Ventliner. I'd say like it's the cloudiest of the bunch today. Uh, definitely, definitely. Hundred percent Gruner. The nose is just spring to me. Like it's very. It just makes me smile. Honeydew melon, peaches, lilies, mineral. Definitely. It's all there. Like, it's just wants to be loved. I mean, it's really like a very, very friendly wine for sure. This is definitely the happy, friendly side of Gruner Veltliner for sure. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I, my note was, this is happy juice. Um, <laughs> okay. This, so, this is- so Car- Carnutum where this is, is like normally like a, a red wine region. So this is interesting that, that you have white Gruner from here. It's cool. Um, so one thing I like about this wine is that it's um, you still can tell what the grape is. It still has the the characteristics of the grape. I think I don't know with natural winemaking. I find uh, you know it's the the grapes taste sort of similarly. You know there's something about that, and and I really like that they keep you know the the typicity of the Gruner Veltliner here. It's like the lighter, more playful side of it, I guess. I don't know. I'm like a noob for Gruner, like <laughs> so. I don't. What? So what? Like how much? How much Gruner have you had, and how well, much Gruner Veltliner have you had in your life? So when I think of Gruner, I I know you know some people might roll their eyes, and they they should right now. But I think of like the one liter bottles that you just pop into a wine store, pick up, bring to parties, and they're like always reliably good. And they're right. always exactly $13. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing about Gruner Veltliner to me, like, and, and is that even the, the, the lower priced wines have good quality, right? I mean, they, you know, you're, they're always totally. reliable. And the other thing I think with Gruner is that the more you spend, it's sort of like, it's a pretty reliable ladder of quality as well. Like if you're spending $25, you're getting $25 of value, right? And it's like, it's, it goes like that, I think. 
I totally, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I, I love, yeah, I love that you can spend $13, you know exactly what you're getting. Yep, and yep. Uh, it's always in a liter too, which is, you know, love, love a liter bottle, but I totally agree. So this wine's $17, which I think it completely delivers, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, totally. That nose just makes me so happy. I think the character of like the fruit really shows. I think the acidity is there. I would love to drink this in a park with friends, but I could also pair this with with dinner. My favorite thing to make is chicken milanese, you know, like the breaded chicken with lemon and arugula. Mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. would just slam with that. I totally agree with you. I want to drink this outside somewhere. Yeah. I want to like roll around in the grass. Is that weird? No. <laughs> Don't spill it on yourself, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When I was when I was getting this wine, I went over to Aster, which is like you know, great wine store in Manhattan, and uh, I couldn't find it. You know, I was in their Austrian section, but their Austrian section is pretty tiny. You know, they have an Austrian section. That's interesting. Well, I, well, which is great, but it's tiny, and so I was looking, 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 and I I knew it was here. Uh, I saw it online, and I specifically went to Astor to pick it up and I couldn't find it. So I asked someone who worked there and I said, Oh, do you have this wine? Christina Gruner. And he goes, Oh yes, follow me. And he proceeds to lead me to the back. And I'm like, Oh crap. He misheard me. He's leading me to the fine wine room. And I'm just like, Oh, this is awkward. This wine's like $17. Uh, and meanwhile, he opens <laughs> the door and this wine room has all natural wine. It's like, it's like juice box best dream room oh. and do you know that they keep all of their natural wine in this like temperature controlled room at aster why i don't know i mean like i don't I, it was just very bizarre to me but anyway i was like okay i'll stay there was like a three-person limit and there were people waiting and i'm like no i need my time in here but it ended up being not awkward i thought it was going to be awkward and i was like oh sir actually no i didn't say that i i'm just looking for this wine but um so yeah, that was that was fun, but wine That's secure. Super interesting though that they shelve this in natural wine and not Austria, right? It's like natural wine is like its own country. Yeah, well, they didn't say this was like the natural wine section. They called oh. it the quote unquote cool room, which I'm like, okay, because oh. <laughs> <laughs> physically it was it was cooler. All right, well let's let's move, let's move on. on to the second one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our second wine is uh, from Nikolai Hoff, which is a very famous producer in the Wachau, which is a very famous wine region in Austria for Gruner Veltliner. And this is their Hefe Abzug, which I'm just going to butcher the name, but Hefe Abzug is, uh, is, I guess, probably more their more like value-oriented bottle. It's one of their lower-priced bottles for Nikolai Hoff. And so this is 100% Gruner Veltliner. All stainless steel. Does Hefeweizug mean, mean something? I, I looked it up and I thought it meant aged on the lees. Oh, possibly. It said that. Yeah, it said that it, somewhere. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Well, that would make sense because it is aged on the lees. So, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Okay. Well, we know that now. So, um, yeah. So, okay. So, Nikolai Hoff is uh, – I mean, honestly, it's one of the oldest wine estates in the world. I mean, they've been making wine there since the 5th century, and the history goes back a long time. I think the people, the family that owns it has owned it since, like, 
the Austrian empire existed, you know, basically there was like, when I, when I went and visited, there were they, they had a linden tree that was planted in honor of like the emperor Franz Joseph or something, you know, it's, so it's like Whoa. old AF, you know, like, and, and so like, um, but what's really cool about Nikolayov is like, they are one of the original like biodynamic producers. I mean, they've been making biodynamic wine since the 1960s. In fact, like, you know, this guy, Rudolf Steiner, he's Austrian. He invented biodynamics and like he was like, their family was like attending lectures by him. So like, I mean, they are as like as wow. old school biodynamic as it gets, right? This you is know? like yeah. the OG. Yeah, totally. Love so, it. What do you think about this one? So this is so different from the first. And I think. Yeah, that's, absolutely. It's way more uh, like lush and like rich, uh, I find. Yeah. And it's it's complex. Every time I put my nose in the glass, I smell something different. Like before I thought I smelled some like some nuts, like some walnuts. I definitely get some, uh, yeah, some white, me, white pepper. Like, totally. Like white and white pepper is like that is the classic Gruner Veltliner note, like white mm. pepper. You know, that's that's you know, that's one. And you get like white blossom, fennel, mint, very herbal, you know. Totally. And, and it is, it's super, it is super complex. And this mm -hmm. one was $28. And, mm -hmm. um, I mean, this mm -hmm. is, the, this is the next step up and it's super complex. Yeah. They have a wine that Nikolai has a wine that they make called the Vinotech and it, 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 they age it for 17 years in a big barrel. That's like hundreds of years old. Like, and so, I mean, it's, that's a like serious wine, but that's not what we're tasting today. We're tasting like the much less this expensive is, one today. This is, yeah. like, this is like their entry level, which for me, I'm yeah. like, I'm so impressed. I'm like, yep, this is great. <laughs> uh, so the Vakau, right. I mean, the Vakau is like for years was like the real prestige region in, in Austria. I mean, there's great winemaking all over Austria, but for years, that was really the, the, the spot. That's the one that goes back many, many years. All right. So if you saw this on a shelf, would you think of this as a natural wine? I mean, I think that's kind of an interesting thing because it is, I mean. Yeah. I mean, so it's, so it's certified biodynamic. It says it on the label uh, right. or on the back, back label. You've got the Demeter uh, logo there. Right. Um, so, I mean, starting with, you know, if it's biodynamic, uh, probably native yeast, like, yeah, totally. I mean, there's a spectrum, to, right? There's a right. huge spectrum of natural wine, but I think this this fits into that OG category where you know, uh, definitely wouldn't call it natty, with right? Quotes, natty, but natty. it's you know, it's made naturally with you know care for the world. Absolutely, absolutely, right. And it's not it, like it doesn't announce itself on the label as natty, like you're saying, no. right? I mean, that's no, a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty. It's pretty classic for that lime, <laughs> that lime green. <laughs> that looks like uh, like a background you would use on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this. What what would you drink this with? Or I guess I think what, what the same what thing you, you were just with? saying. This, what would I what would I pair it with? But I, yeah, I think I I the same thing you're talking about like schnitzel maybe fried chicken maybe like um pork i mean you know one of the things like one of the classic pairings for gruner veltliner is asparagus right that's and like that's a Ooh, very that's spring thing yeah it's coming into season <laughs> good, 
Good times. Well, so that's one thing that I, I don't think I've ever gotten an asparagus note in a wine. Like, what does that even well, taste I don't think like? Well, I, mean, I, I don't think you want an asparagus note in the wine. It just pairs for whatever reason. I don't know. So some of the like notes for this wine say asparagus, which I don't get at all. Do I you? think a lot of don't, no, I don't or, get any asparagus. Do you think it's here. just people like? Do you think it's just people like you know? It's like the power like, of suggestion. Like, like people say asparagus and Gruner Veltliner enough, you begin to like think, oh, there's asparagus in the wine. I know. Well, there's just some things that people say that I'm just like, ah. Uh, eh. But also, I am one of those people, like you know. So, well, but it's fine. but you do get the white pepper, and that's something that everybody always says about Gruner Veltliner. Definitely. I mean, sometimes I get like this green feeling. Green feeling. That's, that sounds like like a like a vibe. Um, but yeah, I like well, and that. And that might be the power suggestion too, because Gruner just means green. The green. Oh shit! You're right. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Next. <laughs> um one thing i do like about this wine that i want to say uh is common in austria it's a screw cap that's true and it is i think you know people think you know screw cap lower quality that is like an american misconception i think because i love screw caps i'm sorry they're so convenient the sound I wish, god i wish i had a sound effect right now insert sound effect <laughs> uh I love them. I think they're great. But I, I mean, they're, they do say that, you know, potentially it means that the wine can't age, question mark. But that is, I think that's a fallacy too, because I mean, Austria has been doing this for a long time, right? I mean, they're like the pioneer with screw caps, but um, no, no, no. I've had plenty of Gruner Veltliners from like the early nineties and stuff that were like the early days of screw cap and they taste great. I mean, you know, so I am, a big fan of screw caps. I I don't think I've ever had an older wine with a screw cap, so I can't speak to it. But I believe in screw cap. I have a question for you. So with the WSET program, like, is there a lot of time devoted to Austrian wines at all? Like, you know, so far in the in your education? No, 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 yeah. no, no, not at, at all. all. And none at all. It's, it's so French heavy, I'd say. You know, mm-hmm. and then we're get, we get into Italy and we get into Spain, but and even like the instructors, they just like breeze over these areas too. Like they're like, oh, in Austria, okay, and next, moving <laughs> they on. They make wine too. Right? Yeah, they, they make wine there. Uh, so yeah, that, that's one thing that actually my boyfriend said we were we were drinking a wine from Austria last night, and he's just like, we drink a lot of wine from Austria, and I'm like, that's a very good observation. We do, and uh, I just think that. There's just so much natural wine, like really good quality, not too expensive natural wine coming out of Austria that just, I love it. Like, I absolutely love it. But yeah, it's definitely not a focus in diploma. I mean, obviously, they don't focus on natural wine at all. But right. even, even Gr- I mean, yeah, they might, mm, Austria, they make Gruner there. Next. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's about it. Like, it's, you know, it's kind of sad. It is, right? Because it should. Right. I, I mean, after the Loire Valley, I think Austria probably is like the next great natural winemaking area, I think. You know, I mean, you've got like these iconic producers like, you know, Gud Ogau and Meinklang and Christian Cheetah, you know, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. so, I mean, it's like a, you know, a leader, I guess, you know. I love Austria. I It's like, 
no, I don't want it to become popular. I don't want it to become mainstream. Like I like it just the way it is right now. Um, oh, what is today, by the way? We didn't actually, that's one. So I, last week I learned about the biodynamic calendar a little more intently. Um, you know, so w- what is our tasting day today? So today is not good for wine. It's a root day. <laughs> Which is actually bullshit because these wines taste great. <laughs> so I call bullshit. Am I allowed to are you call are you are you officially calling of course are you call, officially calling bullshit on the biodynamic calendar today? Um is well, today the no, day No, because you know what? If it was a fruit day, maybe they would taste better. Even better. <laughs> Even better. Could they taste any better than they taste today? I mean, I want to say, I I want to say no, because yeah, I opened these again, it's rainy, it's gloomy. And now I'm happy. Well, this has been delightful again. Thanks, Beth. It's been delightful. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Our virtual picnic, you know, in the park. Yeah. Next time we'll get a blanket, you know. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see. What are we doing next time? I think we're going to do a deep dive into Australian natty wine. Sounds fantastic. For more on Gruner Veltliner, including tasting notes and recommendations, be sure to check out our newsletter at everydaydrinking.com. So my first experience with the wines of Christian Cheeto was more than a decade ago at Noma in Copenhagen, which at the time was considered the best restaurant in the world. Now, it's a long way from highfalutin Noma to the local McDonald's, but back then, I guess, I really didn't understand what natural wines were. To be honest, like a lot of people at the time, I was sort of skeptical about the whole natural wine movement, but Christian was one of those people who convinced me otherwise. Since the mid-2000s, at his home in Austria, in Bergenland, near the Hungarian border, on Lake Neusiedl, he's been making natural wines for longer than most people even knew natural wine existed. I've known Christian for quite a while, visiting him a few times and researching my book. He's a memorable character, a wild guy who once asked me to pee in his garden after a tasting. Sometimes, I'm not sure whether he's a winemaker or a performance artist, but at this point, he has a unique perspective on both Austrian wine and natural wine. Here's our conversation. So Christian, the first time I think I had your wines was maybe a decade or more ago at, uh, at Noma, which, you know, at the time it was part of the wine pairing when, with the deep fried moss and the live shrimp and all of the crazy new Nordic dishes. And, you know, this was at the time Noma was really committed to natural wine. And um, early on, you were really kind of identified as a natural winemaker, a natural wine pioneer. You know, can you talk a little about the early days of, of uh, you know, when people were just sort of discovering natural wine? Like, how was it? Yes, it, it was uh, very crazy times also because in, when I started to develop my own style of wine, uh, it was not like today that I can call call up a friend and say, hey, Tom, I have this experience. Did you have a similar? And I can ask someone because 15 years ago, uh, no one knew about these things. And right. I, the only thing I wanted to do when I started was 
I wanted to make wine without using all the, the classic methods because I thought that the grapes were good enough to show them and were good enough to be without additives. This was the original idea. It was not called natural wine. It, in Austria, it did not, we did not have a name for it. And I, uh, to be honest, I was very quiet and I did not tell anyone in Austria about my way of winemaking. Uh, when we were in discussions, I always was very quiet and did not tell anyone that this wine that I made was made without any additives. <laughs> I was not sure if this is good or bad what I'm doing, you know, because I mean, I was 24 years old in, in the age of 24 um, with the knowledge of the early times of, of the 2000s. You know, everyone wanted to have big, big, big wines like Mellows with, with heavy power. And I did the absolute opposite. I wanted to create a white wine and a red wine that was uh, light in alcohol and light in, in power, but fragile and elegant. So we're talking about the early 2000s. And, um, yes. and I, I remember when I interviewed you for my book, you, you were talking about in 2004, you had decided to uh, go in this new direction and you yes. sold off the barriques, you, you sold off yeah. all the barrels, you, uh, you went completely organic in 2005, you experimented yeah. with skin contact, what eventually we would know as orange wines, you know, you were experimenting with amphora, yeah. you know, all of this. And so, you know, what was the decision then? You know, you were 24 and what, like, what, why did you decide to kind of go in this direction? I mean, there were, there were many reasons, but uh, one of the reasons was also that I had bloody hangover from classic made wines. And I thought if there is less additives inside, maybe the hangover is less. This was one of the reasons. And the second was that I really became crazy for searching for the purity in wine. The, the idea of uh, making the wine and that, that comes in a almost strong character from the vineyard, that this is, uh, that this is enough. So yeah, I, I wanted to be as pure, I wanted to be pure and cool as possible in the age of 24 and 25. Also because I already tasted so many wines. I, I was at vertical tasting from Lafitte, Mouton, all these wines. And I, I, I saw everything and I, it was not enough for me. I ne you understand what I mean? So yeah. in the end, I had to do it on my own <laughs> somehow. <laughs> but tricky times, because in Austria, these methods, they were not accepted. In, in Austria, the topic was you need a, a big, well-equipped cellar to make one nice bottle of wine. I did not believe this. No. So your family's your family's been had had these vineyards um, for you know for for years. And when yes. you, and I, I believe you you when you had told me before you were you had gone to school to study fine art. You wanted to be an artist, and then yeah, you came I, back to came back to the winery. And you yes. know what is that is that when a lot of this these ideas came about? Yes, also and also because uh, it was time that somebody came back and brought new ideas for the, for the family. And uh, it was the right time that someone like me started something new. 
But so when you went to this organic and, you know, non-interventionist approach in the vineyards, yes. I mean, was there consequences? I mean, did people, what did people in, in the neighborhood say, you know, what did people nearby? Yeah. It was a, it was one of the, or maybe the toughest time of my life so far, because imagine uh, at the gas station, they were telling my father, you know what your son is doing now? And he said, no, what do you mean? And they said, he's killing all of your vineyards. Next year, the vineyards will be dead with this system because I started a big competition between grasses and herbs and we made, made a big, big garden inside in a wine garden instead of monoculture wine garden. Mm-hmm. And people said, now he's fucking it up. And, <laughs> and this went so far that I also had rented some vineyards. People were, were taking back the rented vineyards because they say, if you go on like this, the vineyards will not survive this. So it, it came to a very radical and people were quite aggressive. You, you understand if people, are, if people are seeing or if you are doing things people can't understand, people sometimes become quite intense and aggressive with their methods. And also the wine, as a result, it was 12% alcohol, very light, and also the for the analysis, the laboratory called me and said, uh, and it's never a good sign if a laboratory is calling you. <laughs> no, no. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they called and said, well, uh, maybe you should not bottle this red wine because it's so light, this will not survive. And if you open now a bottle of this wine, it's fit, it is nice in color, and you can drink it like crazy. So when did the... the uh kind of the attitude towards all this change, you know, uh, for everyone. Did it take a decade? Did it take less? I mean, yeah, when did people start seeing? Yeah. And it is, you've, you've mentioned in, in the start, um, in Austria, it's always the same. Whatever you do, if you're a winemaker or an artist or whatever, uh, you have to prove it outside and then you're more than welcome inside Austria. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took more than 10 years. I mean, the first international uh, uh, customers that I had were restaurants like Noma or in Paris or in these cities, mm-hmm. not, in, not, in a, not in a big style in Austria. So once they got famous in Copenhagen and Paris and New York, then the people yeah. at home started to, to recognize them for what they were. Yes, but... You're I never was... a prophet in your hometown. That's what they say. You're never a yeah, prophet in your hometown. Fully, to be honest, I fully accept this. Yeah, it, it is uh, how it is. I don't need to be a, a, a prophet in in my home. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm happy if I can go to New York or somewhere and have have a lot of friends there and meet like-minded people. That's fair enough for me. In in the rest, when I'm here, I work in the vineyards. That's a that's a nice thing for me. Yeah. So what is home like? Maybe we can take a step back. You can tell us about, you know, what, it, what's, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what part of Bergenland you're in? And, you know, I know you're right near the lake and it's very fascinating yeah. kind of place to be. We are in the, uh, in the northern part of the Burgenland, close to the Hungarian border. And it was uh, hundred years ago when um, this part of Burgenland became part of of the Austria before it was part of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. And 1921, the part where I live, 
became Austrian. So if this uh, 100 years ago would have been different, I would speak Hungarian maybe now. Then, I mean, it, uh, Burgenland, it was a quite poor region, farming, agriculture, no tourism. And then slowly it started with wine. The, the wines became better and more professional. Very important part for this was the lake. To be honest, the lake is a big identification for us uh, because also for the wine, it's regulating the climate. If it's cold in the nights, it's... And this, it's, is, this is Lake, lake Neusse. Yeah, it's Lake Neusse. Sorry. Lake I, should, yeah. I mean, the, the lake is not, not only nice for tourists, it's also nice for the, for the vineyards because it, it brings humidity when, it, when it's dry and it cools down when it's hot. So the lake is fantastic. And it is, it's, a, it's a very strange sort of lake, isn't it? It's not very deep. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's foggy. It's, yeah, it's very the mystical. Deepest, the, deepest, uh, the deepest part is two meters. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can walk, walk to Hungary? If, yes, if you jump in, uh, the chance is very big that you stick with your head inside the <laughs> bottom. And so what varieties of grapes are you growing right now? I mean, and you have a lot of different blends. Um, it's, it's some things that maybe are not are typical for Burgenland, but also some that are not yes. so typical. I mean, there is a big mixture because there is some, some vineyards that are from my inheritance. So I did not choose them. And some I've chosen. So the Grüner Wettliner... Uh, and the Scheurebe, for instance, and the Pinot Blanc. Uh, these are the ones that I really like. They are super old. And then we have uh, the different Muscat varieties that we are using for uh, skin macerated wines. So this is the we only make one one skin macerated wine, so-called orange wine. It's the Himmelat <laughs> number two, made from grapes, not from oranges. So. <laughs> Which I think we all we all know now, but maybe ten years ago people didn't know. Yeah, you have no idea. I remember as it was yesterday. Uh, I think it was vintage 2010. I was presenting at a big wine wine trading uh, company in Austria, and some of the guests said, "This wine already looks very old." <laughs> Pardon, what do you want to say? <laughs> they said, yeah, this wine is so deep in color. It, it was this uh, yellow, this intense yellow that you have from the maceration. You know which one? Yeah, the of course. The yeah. maceration color. And I said, no, no, that's, uh, that's okay how it is. And the people said, no, sorry, we wish you good luck with all these things. <laughs> yeah. And now the same people are visiting every year to buy a small allocation. So it's never too late to develop a good pellet, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I know for years you had an issue where um, the authorities you know, rejected the wines and you, and you had to bottle them as um, table wine and it didn't fit into the uh, official classifications. Um, is that still the case? Is that... Uh, what are you doing to, to cause this to happen? No, uh, this was a crazy times. In these days, the three biggest uh, crimes that you could do in Austria was robbing a bank, killing someone, and not filtering your wine. 
<laughs> but like going straight to Alcatraz. No filter, <laughs> Alcatraz. <laughs> well, nowadays everything is okay. It's uh, just called wine, and we do what we want. And I'm, but you I, still, you still aren't, aren't, you still don't bottle as part of any of the official classifications, though, right? No, 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 no. Impossible. That's impossible. Yeah. But who cares at this point? No, at this point, no one cares. No, at this point, no one cares. What were some of the issues that, you know, that, that the powers that be found that, you know, that you, you, you had to bottle the wine this way? Like, what were the things that they re- objected to? That the wine was not, uh, that the wine was unfiltered, for instance. So, wow. cloudy, cloudy wine is not, uh, was not allowed in these days, not with this uh, labeling. And you know there is a there is a level of cloudiness that goes from zero cloudiness just by analysis cloudiness to optical cloudiness, and yeah, these are never-ending discussions. Yeah, but I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Appellation is appellation. We have the big appellation Austria, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> It's a very big vineyard. <laughs> Austrian wine Fair enough. I'm 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 happy with that. Uh, I mean, I would love to explain uh, the, the vineyards' names and things like that because they also have a reason. But I'm fine with that. But how do you feel about the the natural wine, the the whole movement, where it's come in ten years, and and you know how much it's really taken over, you know, and and now you have a sort of corporate interest have come in, and you have yeah. this whole idea of quote unquote clean clean wine, you know, and it's just kind of become it's, a little bit of a monster. Yeah, to be honest, Jason, it's uh, the situation now is a bit tricky for me to understand. I really don't understand what has happened. Because when we started together with some other very enthusiastic winemakers from from uh, from Austria or from, from Europe, I would say uh, it was a couple of people that that were keeping the house cool, and um, we were freaks more or less. You know, mm-hmm. these were freaks and uh, purity over everything, and purity, purity, and now. It is many, many people doing a style of wine where they say this is a natural wine, not understanding that it's not the it's not the method of a, a hands of winemaking that is creating the wine. The people don't understand that this is not the method. It's the vineyard that is treated in the most careful and most respectful way, and not the a winemaking method. Many people think that natural wine, and I, I, I hardly use this term, like the same like orange wine, I'm not using these terms, and no one who is really into, into the natural, natural wine scene does not use these words, you know? Mm. Yeah, you are right, it has become a big, uh, a big monster. Many people don't understand the system behind all this. For them, they think it's a category of wine, like this is rosé wine, this is some uh, heavy oak, ri- oak wine, this is stainless steel wine, and then we have natural wine. This is not, this is, you should not, in my opinion, I see it completely different. 
with the grapes that I'm raising and I harvest, the grapes are so good, even if I do a, a stainless steel fermentation, you know, just a simple stainless steel, even then I think the wines would be full of expression and full of energy. So it's never the, the method. It's always the vineyard that is creating the good wine in the end or not. People are calling me and asking me for advices, telling me uh, the, the spontaneous fermentation doesn't work with us in our, in our cellar. And they said, yes, can you help us? I said, no, it will come if you did a good job in the vineyard. If you were, if you killed your, uh, if, if you killed your energy in the vineyard, then the spontaneous fermentation will not work and many, many other things. So there would be still a, be a big demand for explaining people the real system. And not just because the wine is unfiltered and cloudy doesn't mean that it's a good wine. And like the same, for me, it doesn't mean because a wine has a, a bit of an, or a light flavor of an oak, it doesn't mean that this is bad wine. So I want to read. I want to read this quote that I, I have in, in my book from you, and, and see if, yeah. if you you have any any uh, thoughts on it. So you were talking about um, how little intervention that you could bring into the into the process, and mm -hmm. you said, "I would like to remove myself entirely from the winemaking. This is my next step. For a real natural wine, the human would have to accept anything that happened in human history. There's never really truly been a natural wine." And so you were telling me that you were you were going to maybe stop tasting the wine before you bottled it because I mean even your taste would be a human intervention. Have yes. you uh, <laughs> no, <it's>, <laughs> That was a very provocative thing to say. I mean, yes, but um, of course it's a bit provoking to say, but what I wanted to say is if we bottle some wine, I will not uh, blend it with some other to make it uh, different or in another way. We're bottling it how it is and believing in if there were good grapes, the wine will be nice. Maybe not in the second, maybe in six months or maybe in two years. This is the idea behind all this. Also, uh, during the last years, we've come to the point where we have almost one barrel for one vineyard. And this oh, really? Is, okay. Yeah. Yes. And this is also uh, for me a a very great expression of uh, saying hands off. This is the vineyard. The grapes were lightly pressed, then it fermented into this barrel, and this is how it tastes. That's it. So, I mean, also the Austrian varieties are getting a lot more popular in the United States all the time. I mean, you know, Gruner Veltliner is certainly something people know. Blau Frankish mm -hmm. people are beginning to know more and more. But, you know, there's still you know, it still really hasn't kind of cracked into the mainstream, I guess, you know, there's still a lot of people, a lot of consumers that don't know uh, Austrian wines. I mean, you know, do you think that that'll ever change? Or do you think that, you know, you know, we'll come to see Austrian wine as a sort of, you know, in, in the, in a different way, in a bigger way, or, you know, will it always be kind of a, a niche? I think Austrian wine will always be a bit in, um a special, a special underdog, maybe, because Austria is a quite a small uh, wine-producing country. I don't know the liters by heart, but it's not 
in comparison to Italy or, or France, I mean, I think they are a hundred times bigger. So this is just for special interested people. This will never be for the masses. And right. I always say to all of my friends, uh, please tell me if any of my wines appear in a, in a grocery supermarket, then I stop making wine because I'm not doing it for them. No, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the wrong the wrong idea behind all this, no? Yeah. So before we came on, I informed you of something that uh, I saw in uh, New York Magazine on their Grub Street food uh, website. And uh, your uh, Blaufrankisch was named the um, one of the best pairings with the McDonald's filet of fish sandwich. This was an article on how to pair great wine with McDonald's. And so you, you were, uh, you, your, your wine had the distinction of being the best pairing with a filet of fish sandwich. I mean, that's a long way from Noma, don't you think? <laughs> yes. How do you feel about that? <laughs> that, uh, that sounds like big fun, going uh, going to McDonald's and pair it with some of my wines. But yes. When's the last time you were in McDonald's? I think 10 years ago. <laughs> very much hangover and eating three portions of French fries. <laughs> Drinking ice coke, ice cold coke. But, but, but come on, McDonald's. You don't, <laughs> you don't go in there when when you are a war of your uh, of your head. Let's say it like this. No. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe the maybe the natural wines. I mean, everybody is is saying there's all these health claims to natural wines, so maybe it counteracts the McDonald's, you know. Uh, but it is. It seems to be proven what uh, many people say that they. Uh, it's very easy to pair my wines with any food, and uh, yes, if you can pair it with McDonald's, maybe it works also with special dishes at the uh, high end. <laughs> For more adventurous and non-adventurous food pairings, be sure to check out our website at everydaydrinking.com. Everyday Drinking is presented by the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network, produced by Jason Wilson and co-produced and edited by Miles O'Brien. Additional contributions from Amber Janelle Brown and Beth Kamadas. Special thanks to Daniela Denega and Christian Cheetah. Music from the EP Momentos by Ages. Check out our newsletter at everydaydrinking.com. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers.